Dee Real Estate here in Newcastle for the Newcastle regular market wrap. Now, Russ, thanks for joining us. Um, we're looking back in the rearview mirror over the first fiscal quarter of financial year 2021, so yep. July through September. And uh, we've got a, a bit of a, you know, a fair few things to talk about today, um, which you know, we, we might kick it off with a couple of stats that, um, that you know, we've, we've discussed off camera Prior to prior, prior to this, um, about you know PRD as a whole and and where you know maybe some of that data is trending, um, which can give us a little bit of an idea as to, to what's actually happening right now in in the broader Newcastle market, mate. So, look, I thought I'd kick off. Um, you know, you mentioned you had um, a little bit of information around what what listing volumes are looking like and have like over the last quarter. Definitely, Matt. Uh, we love hard data and thanks for having me again. Um, literally, as we were speaking, um, our monthly wrap hard data graph just dropped into my, uh, my team's inbox. So I've got it in front of me and it's remarkable. So um, I, I can only talk hard data, of course, inside of uh, PRD, but I certainly think that uh, we're extremely reflective of what's happening around the market. So in September... I've just noticed we've actually just had our, our second strongest new listing month for the year. So combined between um, the, the new projects capability and the residential team, 63 new listings for September, which is incredible. So that's, that's actually more than two a day. Um, and as mentioned, the only stronger month was when we had almost 75 in July, which was a very strong winter. So I suppose... We have seen that most people have kind of forgotten about the spring market because it's a lockdown market, but we have had definitely that natural um, seasonal human energetic push that, that comes through when the weather warms up, you get a bit more rainfall, everything's greener and all of that sort of stuff. So 63 new listings for the month of September is just absolutely fantastic. Um, listing volume is it's still tight. So the listings are still tight. That's what we're still seeing. Um, I suppose if we went back to a more, or when we go back to um, a more normal, buoyant market, say from, you know, we felt between, say, 2014 and 2018, we probably would have seen, seen these regularly in the sort of the 70s and the 80s. So um, listings are still not back to levels that we've seen before. They may or may not get back to that level. But that's still an incredibly strong listing month, which I think, um, as we know, residential real estate is a 12-week cycle. So we will see these properties work through the client pipeline and be settling later in the year or even moving into to 2022. The big thing this time of year is, is we say to people, help them understand, do you want to own your new home and be in your new home for Christmas? Good point. Yeah, that's a good point on the on the 12-week cycle. and. To your point about listings, I, I think um, we keep an eye on on listings in broader Newcastle as well, and um, it's only been in the last week or two that we've started to see uh, a little bit of an uptick in what was, you know, right across Newcastle, uh, a downtrend in in listings, you know, that started pretty much, you know, earlier this year, pretty much from January, but really kicked off through. Um, through the COVID lockdown in through July and, and August and September. So it's great to know that, um, you know, at least in, in the rearview mirror recently, there's uh, a little bit more stock that, that could potentially come online. 
Um, so, Mick, talk us through what uh, buyer inquiry has been like and, uh, and what the COVID environment has mm. done or influenced uh, when it comes to the buyer side of a transaction. Yeah, for sure. We've had over 2,000 inquiries into our company over the last 30 days for residential property alone. That, that sounds like a big number. It's probably quite standard. It's probably about 5 or 10% uh, more than we would expect usually. The reason for that in a time like this, you do get a lot of agencies and agents um, removing some information from a property, taking a price guide off and then changing it to auction or contact agent or whatnot is common. I don't think that it provides the best customer service uh, opportunity for potential purchaser because people love information. People either think they are or are time poor. So providing information, being transparent is fantastic. You actually, as an agent, don't want to get to too many listing inquiries because if you do, it means that you're going to have a huge volume of work and a lot of that is not going to be specifically relevant to your listing. So you're actually opening yourself up to a bad client experience. So there's a real sweet spot. So I think those numbers are good. I think that they have come up about 5 or 10% just based on people um, being at home, having a little bit more time to search for property and getting into more of that sort of those research conversations and inquiries a good trigger for that. So it, it is hard because through COVID, we understand that, especially with some of the economical factors and the relationships we're seeing between the data and the world and the results, lots of the conclusions we've drawn before actually don't ring true anymore, which is kind of cool, kind of confusing, and it doesn't really matter. It's drawing some new conclusions about numbers versus the world and our environment and and the projections of when we're going to be back into a normal working scenario or not. Um, but, yeah, the Embora Quarry remains strong. Our absolute obsession with uh, real estate in all forms continues, Matt. Listings are still a little bit lower than the amount of buyers that's looking. So um, the actual scale of supply and demand is still tipped towards the demand. There's, there's more people looking than, than houses out there. I did feel that the listing volume started to grow a little bit um, towards how long have we been locked down? And this must be week seven. So right before lockdown, there was a little bit of a bit of a sentiment going around that the market might have been cooling off a little bit. And when it cools off, we're talking about that the express train upwards curve was starting to maybe, you know, start to move towards a plateau. Certainly no correction or whatnot. We started to feel that a little bit of balance starting to come back in. And then, boom, we get dropped back into a lockdown. The world becomes very uncertain again. Only the people that really need or really want to sell, sell, so their listing volume dropped off again. And the buyer demand, which I think is fairly consistent, but I think the actual heat in the market goes up and down in accordance with um, the amount of volume that is or isn't on the market because volume drops, all of a sudden, same amount of people have got less to choose from. So they, create, but they get that urgency and that tension. It's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, simply, you know, your supply and demand, which is, is influencing price so much at the moment. Um, mm -hmm. what, what we've tended to, to find over the last, probably the last two to three months um, with buyers in the marketplace is um, a little bit of buyer fatigue. So, mm -hmm. you know, we've been on this, you know, strong upward trend for a while now. And, and unfortunately, some people have been out there searching for, you know, a fair while and, and following yeah. this trend. Um, so whilst, you know, Whilst there's a significant amount of buyer interest at the moment, uh, and I don't foresee that that changing anytime soon, but 
mm-hmm. uh, you know, I believe, and you know, maybe maybe you could challenge this, but at a point where you've where you've got mm-hmm. such strong price growth in the the recent review mirror, um, buyer to fatigue is going to pull some of those buyers out of the market rather than you know just simply supply coming on and satisfying all of those buyers' needs. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens over mm-hmm. the next couple of months. Um, so one last thing I wanted to talk about before we get to the big topic, um, which is, I guess, forward-looking, um, you know, macroprudential regulation coming into the marketplace, yes. uh, was a couple of stats you've got around uh, off-market sales and, and a bit of, you know, context around, you know, PRD's concept or um, a view on this in a, in a lockdown environment and also, you know, making sure you're meeting the needs of your vendors. Yeah, sure. So around 21% of all our transactions at the moment are getting done privately. That's unconditional sales. Now, what, what happened during lockdown last year is we, we became very good at selling property better than ever before. I think we've always been great at it in our company. I think we became even better and very accustomed and the market became accustomed to, uh, to buying and selling property uh, without it going to the, the market. So I think that and I do feel this is evident across lots of the industry. I think we became a bit too good at it. Now, um, as agents, we're very open about the fact that one of our best forms of marketing is, is open homes and getting things online. So we're on realestate.com and we've got signboards up and we've got flags and open homes and meeting people. And, and that's a really important thing for companies. It's also a great way to make sure that you get more people to a property so you can assess out of everybody that comes, typically it's 5% are going to be uh, suited to that property. So, you know, it's important to take a step back and go, well, if I meet three or five people doing an off-market campaign, um, how do I really feel in my gut about the information and offers I get versus getting 100 people through and working on the 5% of that, you know? So would you want to be working with, you know, by stats, a a quarter of a person versus, you know, three to five (laughs) people? And that's why we run auction campaigns. So you've got a month on the market, you get 100 people through, so you know you're going to get between four to six registrations, all things being equal, and have some competitive tension, a decent reserve, a realistic reserve, and a good sale. So um, we have to come back to that. Now, not completely, but we were probably running around 50 or 60% off-market transactions to the back end of last year based on lockdown and based on agents also, just wanting to help the clients move through the transactions. Clients wanted to sell quickly and efficiently just to move on as well. As the market has been going up, people constantly want to cash in on the market, uh, especially people that don't have to purchase in the back end. So people are transacting on both sides, buying and selling. Whenever they do it, up or down market, generally, if they do it at the same time, they're getting the cause and effect um, benefit. But the people that are selling investments now or moving something on are actually able to cash in on where the market's up to. So... um, there's some urgency for people to get a quick sale off market just based on where the market's at in their street suburb based on the local results. So I, I do think that that's 21% at the moment. I think that will rise over the, course of the ne- over the course of the next quarter. And I think, again, through the start of next year, we generally see a really nice buoyant market bubble or pulse through January, February. I think that that off-market percentage of sales will drop again and will open up back to a more public-style market. So generally between sort of probably 10 to 15% um, would be what I would expect to be normal. So it's not a huge increase this year compared to last year, but it has crept up again. So that's an interesting stat. Yeah, for sure. So anyone that's listening, make sure you get onto the the PRD off-markets database so you're getting access to the kind of stuff. Now... um, 
lucky last um, big thing that's come up in some headlines or it's still kind of under wraps at the moment in the last few days has been um, the the talking about talking about um, you know <laughs> macro prudential uh, market regulation, which is, um, you know, the essentially the government bodies that do regulate the um, broader home finance and, and finance industry as a whole, um, have started uh, giving signals that uh, they're thinking about how they can curb or, you know, curb some of this um, price growth that they're seeing at the moment. Um, yeah. so, so, mate, what, uh, you know, maybe fill us in with a little bit of background on, on what you've um, ascertained yourself and, and what you mm. see the causes and effects on the market could be over the next 12 to 18 months? Yeah, look, being a natural cynic, Matt, um, I, I, I don't have a really good read at the moment on whether they're enjoying, a, a, if, if there's an appearance or some satisfaction in appearing to be responsible by having a conversation about something that probably won't be actioned or if, or if it's serious talk about taking some, some potential action. I read a fascinating article about the Reserve Bank um, has done a verbal backflip on having previously said that their job is to not intervene and to not get involved in, in tweaking the, the levers, as Mark Kentmel says, the levers available to them um, to be able to make some control measures, you know, up and down inside of the market. So there's now some commentary coming out saying that they are open to discussions around um, some form of intervention. So I think that's very interesting commentary. I think that there's not many people that would argue that if, say, in just this incredible new vacuum of the world, if, if the current price growth that we've seen over the past 24 months or probably just 18 months really, probably a bit lower, what are we now? It's probably more around the last 12 months, I suppose, that we've really kicked off out of last year's COVID. Um, if, if that continued... And it just didn't stop. I don't think anyone would argue that, that property at some point would become completely unaffordable to a larger percentage. And, and, and we talk about um, household debt, and this might be an affordability sort of stat. You, you'd know more about this, Matt, with, um, with your wonderful numbers, mine. But there's a really interesting stat around the amount of debt that you hold, how many times your wage fits into the amount of debt. And it's, it's supposed to sit somewhere around, I think, four to six times. And it's, it's crept up to around sort of a factor of seven to eight at the moment. Um, Correct. So, yeah, is, is that the affordability step that they use? It's, that is what they're really looking at quite closely. So that's what I'm hearing and feeling. I, so all of that to me kind of means that um, I do think there'll be a natural cooling of the market, but I don't think that'll be to potentially next winter. And I think there'll be a plateau. I don't think there'll be any kind of correction. I just can't see why there would be because... We love property. People want to keep purchasing. And look, even if there was a slight plateau or even price drop, it would just open up. Um, it would open up buyer demand again. So look, I, I just can't see what's going to change aside from a natural supply and demand um, revert to balance, which I think would be probably in about seven or eight months next year, um, or some sort of intervention, which happened at the end of 2018. Um, which was, that was APRA at the time who just pulled the rug out on the amount of investment loans that banks could hold. So over the course of two weeks, we lost about 40% um, of our attendees at open homes at the end of 2018. That was, that was a remarkable thing to go through. And then 2019, everyone was literally sitting around looking at their watches. We, we were consistent, but 
we had five people at open homes, we, we would have had 45 the year before, and then we did two years after. Fascinating. So I, I, I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I can't wait to find out. What do you think, Matt? <laughs> good, good summary. I think um, so. The the conversation that has been at the, recently is to your point is is this idea of well let's take a back step so in 2018 and 17 16 um you know investors right across australia were making up close to 45 percent of the buyer pool um mm. over the over and above the you know your long-term average of probably around 30 to 35 percent so mm. the demand was coming from investors and the way that apra you know restricted this uh, house price bubble or, or demand for property was to restrict specifically um, lender or sorry investor lending. Um, mm-hmm. This time, very very different. The the seesaw has balanced in the opposite direction, and and what what their numbers are tracking are that uh, you know the biggest slice of demand is now coming from owner occupiers and has yeah. been in eight months um, really really strong first home buyer demand mm-hmm. now. That subset, first-time buyers, you're going to really start to see affordability constraints just naturally. Um, so, you know, the bulk of the market, if you look at a bell curve, right, and you've got the average property price in a, in a you know, large enough region, you'll find that's where the most activity happens and, and that's where the, your, your home buyer or your first and second home buyers are going to be playing around with. So yeah. once, um, you know, a way to impact this or, or curb the, the level of interest from the largest, you know, area of demand at the moment, which is your first and second home buyers, is to actually restrict the amount of money that these people can borrow. And one of the metrics that the bank typically use at the moment, um, all of your your large big four banks typically restrict a borrower's or, or a household unit's borrowing to between six and seven times their income. So let's say we're earning 100K combined. Um, even if we're saving every single dollar of what we earn, um, the bank's probably going to cut us off at around six to 700K. Now, there are banks at the moment and non-deposit-taking you know, institutions, non, non-ADIs, which are, um, don't have this restriction on them. They're not, it's all self-imposed at the moment. Um, yeah. So they're, they're lending as much as they want, basically, just as long as the borrower is uh, in a credit work. Um, what, the, what APRA is saying is, well, hang on a sec, what if we can intervene by essentially regulating that a, a mandate that a borrower, sorry, a... Uh, lending institution cannot lend more than seven times uh, a, a person's income. And that's seriously going to impact someone's ability to borrow, which mm. naturally is going to reduce their borrowing, uh, their purchasing power and curb demand. Pretty simple, mm. you know, pretty much it. Um, but to your point, you know, it's it's the first day of they're talking about something and uh, you know, like this. And um, I can't remember who's, who has said it, but a very wise businessman uh, always quotes that they usually come down too hard and too late. So we'll, uh, you know, it might be another six to twelve to eighteen months before the talking yeah. about talking about turns into actual action, um, and then mm. there might be a you know, strong strong response. Which, uh, to your point, look, it's it's certainly not going to cause a cliff that a lot of people are talking about. At least in my opinion, uh, it's going to be a natural mm. curve of yeah. Fascinating. Exciting stuff. Well, look, Russ, thanks so much for uh, for joining us on our or you know our regular wrap. Um, mate, great to have you here, and uh, can't wait to get you on next time to look at the next month's stats. Fantastic! Thanks for having me. It's a wonderful time, and uh, to all the people out there, stay safe, 
keep talking to your agents, your buyer's agents, assemble your team, have your conveyancer ready to go, have your finance ready to go, and then go and buy a property and then sell property as well. It's an amazing time to do it. Great stuff. Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. <laughs>